We are in 1 Peter. For those of you who made it out today, if you'll uh, turn in whatever Bible you have, perhaps you have a phone that works as a Bible. Who knows the, uh, you want to shout out the page that 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 11 is on? And anything I say today, if you zone out for any reason, just go back and read that. Because that's why we're here. And if, if we can just sit with the Word of God, <clears throat> oftentimes that's, that's better than, than being in a class. <clears throat> I think I'm going to just use this one here. So I'm not running around. Page 858 in the Seat Bibles. First uh, Peter chapter 2, we're starting in verse 11 this week. Ron and Ronnie brought us to this point in previous weeks. Beg your pardon? <laughs> That's what I'm going to tell the principal when I'm sent to his office. Yeah. Let's pray for a minute. Father, again, just corporately, we are just mulling over your words and thinking about them. And we know you mean to say something to us, and, and we want to hear your voice. Remove our filters, please, through the Spirit, and allow us to obey you. In Jesus' name, amen. What we're going to talk about this morning, as we do every morning, is, is extremely important. I'm going to go through three things that I think we need to know. The last one is where I'll spend most of the time, and that's the practical aspect of these four punches in the head that come up in this particular passage. But before we do anything else, let me say what a pleasure it was to, to hear the recording of these classes from, from when I was out of town. I think Miles provided them. So I heard Ronnie, and I heard Ron. And I was just, I was just basking that, and that, uh, just enjoying it immensely. Uh, I've known some of you about 40 years. And others of you, I've known less. Ronnie, how, how long have you been here? Okay, all right. So, so less time with you um, and, and less time with Ron Bailey. But I, I found myself uh, just thoroughly enjoying these two guys as they talked about the things that they had studied and, and hearing it rather than being here because I was out of town. And... I found myself grinning really big when I heard Mana sparring with Ron about predestination. And I was, I was just listening, listening, and I thought to myself, I get a huge grin on my face right now. And Mana's not sparring with me. He's sparring with Ron. And I just, I, I really, really enjoyed it. So, whatever we talk about today is just a continuing story, isn't it? Of the people that come and go in this little piece of the kingdom here. And, and so we're just going to continue that story with the Word of God this morning. Beginning in verse 11. 
Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing what was wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his footsteps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He bore in himself our sins. In his body, on the cross, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over, without words, by the behavior of their wives. When they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothing. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in the sight of God. For this is why the holy women of the past, who put their hope in God, used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham, calling him her Lord. You are her daughters, if you do what is right, and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. For modern society, bathed in whatever we have, 
the modern zeitgeist, this can be a real punch in the head, even for people that go to church. Now, it needs to be properly understood. This is true. One of the things that we need to understand is that we, we are not God. God is not like us, but we are something like him. So, when we read the Bible, if I were to ask you, do you do what the Bible says? And you say, oh, yeah, yeah, whatever the commands are. Yeah, I'm a Christian. I do whatever it says. You're lying to me. <laughs> Maybe not about the, the obedience part. You're lying to me about the reading part. If we are not offended in some way by what the Bible says to us, at some point, because we all come with filters, we haven't read what it says. God's words will be somewhat offensive to us in one part of our life or another as we go along. Different parts as we mature and grow, but it will be offensive to us, and we have to sit with it long enough until the beauty of Jesus overcomes our, our offense at what God has for us. Let's start with the big story that's often overlooked. This scripture, as, it, as any other scripture, is placed in the largest story that we can understand. And it has to do with the kingdom of God. Salvation of our souls is a very, well, it's not a small story, but it is a piece of the kingdom of God. It's the thing that allows us to become part of the kingdom of God. And so what we have is creation with humans, like us, created in the image of God in the Garden of Eden, and heaven and earth are connected. We are truly human at that point, Adam and Eve truly human, and they reflect God's glory to the rest of creation. Until they didn't. And we've been sort of limping ever since. But in the middle of that story, then, God tries to reconnect these things. He uses the tabernacle, and his presence comes down in the tabernacle. And then through Israel, he's connected to humanity, although they don't want to know him. And then in the temple, and then finally in Jesus, God blasts a hole into every theory and every government, and he, he calls out a people that are now able to follow him the way he wants because they do it through the, the person of Jesus. Jesus, then the final mediator, wins the victory for the kingdom, and it begins at his resurrection. And it will continue from this point, from that point on. And we're part of that large story. Heaven is not our final destination, as unfortunately a lot of these songs are not very scriptural. Um, heaven is not our final destination, and that's okay. Heaven is talked about, but there's something that happens then after our disembodied spirits are there. We are reconnected, like Jesus, with our bodies, supercharged, 
and we are then fully human in the new earth that's talked about in Revelation and in Second Peter as well and perhaps Jude. So that's the big story. And we take a small piece of this. Kelly does it up here. We do it here. Small piece of this big story. But we have to remember where this piece belongs. It belongs in the large story of God in which he is taking in people who want to follow him. People who know that he's their creator. And so we slowly, he slowly gathers people up for the new heaven and the new earth that will be connected and we will be absolutely, truly human. So that's the big story. As we look at scriptures like this, what we end up with is filters. And we've all got them. I've read, there are four things. Government, uh, how we we treat the government. Government. how slaves are, are, are to work for their masters. How wives are to act with their husbands. How husbands are supposed to act with their, their wives. All four of these can be non-starters. If, if I were to just sit on a, a, a street corner and talk about these four items, no one would want to hear it. There has to be an audience that's willing to hear this sort of stuff, but we, we have a background through which we can hear this. Oftentimes, though, as Christians, we have a little bit of a secular mindset that comes with us. Ron talked about it last week, and uh, Ronnie may have talked about this as well. I'm not, I don't quite remember that. I remember the burning people uh, that you talked about in Rome. We do have a, a, a secular mindset to some degree. And these words are being spoken to us at different points in history. I believe it's Tom Wright that says, when he studies ancient history, he says, it's a different country back there. Ever gone to a different country where you didn't know the language or the customs? I can tell you that having come here 40 years ago, on the run, actually, from the law, but that, that's another story. Uh, I was talking to people that looked like me. They spoke the same language as me, but they were very different. You people are very different here in Canada. Well, now I'm assimilated as a Canadian. When I go back to the States, I think, well, they look like me, they talk like me. But they're very different people. <laughs> there are things I will not and cannot say south of this border. And I'm always so comfortable when I come back here. I feel, oh, okay, I can let my guard down now. I'll put my pistols away. and um, My uh, AK-47, I'll pack that away. Now, I don't need that because I'm on the north side of the border. But even that is, is a huge difference. And so when we look at historical documents like this and try to understand them, there's a lot of context we have to get. So, and, and we all come with filters. And our filters, unfortunately, are hundreds, maybe a thousand years old. And, and I don't have time to talk about that this morning. But one person that does talk about it is Malcolm Gladwell. 
in his book Outliers, and he talks about the, uh, the Hatfields and McCoys in the, the colonies in the 1800s and how they had all the blood feuds. Uh, we hear about honor killings these days. Those guys did that. By the hundreds, they killed each other for feuds, blood feuds. And they took everything personally. And still to this day, some of that mentality is in those southern colonies in the United States, in the southeast. And, and you could pick it out with experiments. That's 500 years old, 600 years old. That kind of, they don't even know. It's, a, it's an experimenter from the outside that has to run some experiments, and they find out, well, these guys, these are guys who are from Scotland running herds. I mean, that's what they're still acting like now, today. And yet, they might be executives with Coca-Cola, let's say, in, in, in uh, Georgia? No, it's not Georgia. Yeah, Atlanta or wherever. Um, and they still have these filters that they don't even recognize. And so when we come to the Scriptures, we got all kinds of filters. And we've got that, plus we've got our modern mindset, worldview, whatever, that we have to deal with when we come to this. So immediately, no matter where you touch down and what person you touch down with, when we come to the Scriptures, part of it's going to offend us, part of it's not, and it's going to be different for everybody in the room. Let me just tell you one thing that Will Turner, this is the Howards, the Howard-Turner feud in uh, uh, Kentucky, or near Harlan County. After a serious gun battle at a courtroom where the Howards were firing on the Turners, Will Turner comes home, gut shot, and he's whining and complaining, and his mother says, shut up. You need to die like a man like your brother did. And that's the way she saw how he should take a bullet. And so he shot up and he died. But no, no one, uh, she would not have been able to know that that was offensive to us, would she? She would not have thought about that. That's the way one of her sons ought to die after being shot in a blood feud. Every one of us has filters. They come from generations behind us, and they come from our immediate family, and they come from our unique twist, our individual twist on everything. And then we develop a whole new filter system. So it's hard to get in here and then look at an ancient document and try to figure it out. However, we're going to do that because at the end of the day, we're kingdom people. And we want to do what God says. We want to do what He says. If you look at Israel, when He pulled them out of Egypt, He brought them out of slavery, and then He gave them His law, didn't He? He didn't say, for 400 years, you guys are going to try to follow my law, and if you do a good enough job, I'm going to bring you out of slavery. He didn't do it that way. He brought them out of slavery so that they could obey his law. That's a form of early grace, isn't it? First the saving, first the bringing out of exile, and then 
This is who I am. This is how I'd like you to behave. Your kingdom people. The same way with us. Jesus doesn't say, you can come to the foot of the cross and have your sins forgiven and be a kingdom person. Once I figure out that maybe you've done enough of these rules to be saved. He doesn't say it like that. He says, I'm going to save you. And now, Ronnie went over this sanctification. We're saved first, and then we become sanctified. We're saved first, because we can't do that for ourselves. And then, he says, this is who I am. If you're a kingdom person, this is how I want you to behave. So, if we have anything to come to these four passages with as, as a disparate group of, of kingdom people spread throughout the world, that's one of those things that we need as a mindset before to sort of get rid of the consequences of a lot of our filters along the way. Yeah, I don't have that slide. Anyway, we have four items here that we look to that can be very difficult. And we only have so much time here, so I want to do an exercise with you, and let's see if that's helpful. And I'm going to let you answer for me. I'm going to let you judge me this morning. I want you to tell me, based on two mindsets, what I might do with Peter's instructions here. Now, first of all, we have four things. If Peter is talking to the Christians in Asia Minor about honoring the emperor who was going to kill them, and for 200 years, they were going to be fed to the lions, fed to the dogs, burned at parties. He's saying, honor the emperor, honor the king. Why would he tell him that? Well, yeah, absolutely, they would have been. So there's maybe an attitude problem that he was dealing with. In each of these sections, we may not have all of the history that's involved, but when the writer says something to the readers, he's saying it because there's a problem. So here we have it. And, you know, this problem doesn't go away, does it? Uh, uh, <laughs> I'm not going to get political this morning, but this isn't the only passage where someone speaking on behalf of God says, honor the government, pay your taxes, and shut up with the complaints. In fact, what you need to be doing, instead of calling those politicians bozos, you need to be praying for them. And that's our response as Christians to the government. Uh, my opinion doesn't count. My vote counts, but my opinion doesn't count. I don't know how many useless discussions I've had over the years. My opinion means nothing, but my vote means something. 
And it so happens in our particular society, we're allowed to do that. Other societies are not allowed to do that. Uh, we need to just honor and thank God for, for that privilege. So, Peter is saying something to his audience here. And, and he, he, in the earlier passage, he said, I want you to live like kingdom people. But here he kind of spells out. Here's four big paragraphs. And right in the middle of these four items, he gives us a reason. Right in the middle of the four paragraphs, he goes back to Jesus. And he says, okay, honor the king. I know you don't want to do it. Slaves, honor your, your masters, even the bad ones. And then I feel like he's got to insert Jesus again and tell the story again about Jesus. This would be uh, verses 21 through 25. And he re- reinserts Jesus here and says, you know, this is tough stuff. I mean, you don't do this naturally. So I'm going to bring you back to the story that's going to help you do this. And he brings us then back to Jesus. Are you having a tough time with these four things that hits home in four parts of our life? Yeah, we're humans. This is not natural for us. So he brings us back to that. And we'll come back to that in just a minute. So I'll let you speak for me now. If I'm sort of a material Christian... And I figure I've just got to do this all on my own anyway. And I don't know where God is, but I'm going to just show up to church and <clears throat> I'm going to sing some songs. But I feel like I'm on my own. Governments, what he says about honoring the king. What, what am I likely to think and say? Tell me quickly here. What am I likely, if, if, that's, if that's why I do things, if that's my belief system in the background, what am I likely to say and do? Judge me. What's that? Yeah, yeah okay, it's not meant for me. What else might I, might I think and say? How might I live if I figure I'm just on my own when he talks about honoring the king? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what, what's going to happen when I sit down and do my taxes? How am I going to feel about that? What, what's that? You're giggling. I'll take that as a response. Yeah, I wouldn't be giggling if that was my mindset. Okay, how about if I'm asked to have the same mindset as Jesus? If I know that God not only established his kingdom, of which I am part, gave me the clean spiritual bill of health through his own blood and sacrifice. And I sit and I meditate on that daily or weekly. How am I likely then to respond to what Peter says about honoring the king? We have a manner of submission one of the blessings of what is being said, surely, is that we, from a human standpoint, a 
learning that one of the components of love is submission. That, and, and, and we may not understand what submission means, and especially in today's world, we see our lives as being so free, when in fact we sort of unwittingly submit ourselves all the time. But part of the lesson surely is, is the reality that a component of love is a mindset of submission, which Christ <coughs> demonstrated to us 100%. For sure. Jesus reorients the world's view of power. I, I'm pretty sure that Michael talked about this in one way or another when he was going through some of the Gospels and some of those thoughts about Jesus. The Sermon on the Mount. Jesus turns power on its head. When his disciples argue about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom, he says, it will not be so among you. Those of you who want to be the leaders must be the, the servant of all. And that is blasted down into the Roman Empire like that. And, and illegal uh, atheists, as you guys pointed out, atheists in the Roman Empire, they took on Platonism, Epicureanism, Gnosticism, and that pantheon of Roman gods. And they, from the inside out, through servant leadership, both men and women, turned the Roman Empire inside out in those few hundred years that they were persecuted. Jesus' view of power that he demonstrated is completely different than anything we are naturally going to do for ourselves. Servant, servant leadership. And this idea of service, of course, that Kevin mentions here, it's absolutely critical to understanding all four of these pieces. If I am a slave and I figure I've got to just do this on my own, what will be my mindset when I work every day? Judge me. John Cassell is a slave. What's my mindset going to be if I figure I'm on my own? Yeah. I've got to do as little as possible just to make that guy happy. That's it. And by the way, slavery that's mentioned here is not the slavery we understand. 400 years coming, uh, people kidnapped out of Africa. This is not the, that is a different type of slavery. And the modern slavery that we understand where people are sold for $100, women and children, uh, as, as sex or work slaves, that is not the type of slavery that we're talking about here. But we don't have time to go into that now. Uh, in, in, in the Roman Empire, a slave could actually take their owner to court, and they could own other slaves. They had certain rights uh, that slaves, as we understand it, uh, throughout the, the world, say, uh, the way they're treated now or the way they were treated in the southern United States, they had no rights to go to court. But that's the digging into an ancient document and understanding it. So now we come to the ladies, and we're going to have to hurry here, he presents Jesus, and then he gets to the, the wives and the husbands, and that's how he does it. 
So, ladies, I can't answer for you. And I won't answer for you. I don't understand you, just so you know. But God didn't ask me to understand you. He asked me to love you. That's it. If you have a, a lived experience, because you're a woman, I will have to accept what you say as you say it, because that's just the way it is. I'm not going to argue with you, whatever. Generally speaking, you're four inches shorter than me, 20 pounds lighter than me. You don't have the amount of fast-twitch muscles I have. You know that guys like me run the machine guns and the tanks in this world, and we're the ones that declare war, while you and your children suffer. So, I don't understand you. I'm living with a woman for 40 years. Don't understand her. It's okay. I need to love her. I don't need to understand her. And I can guarantee you she doesn't understand me. She can predict my behavior, seemingly. I don't know how she does that. Uh, but I don't know that she has a hard time understanding me. And that's okay. She just needs to love me. Hope she does. Um, so ladies, in this particular case, he talks about things like uh, being a servant to your husband. He talks about Jesus being a servant. Then he talks about serving your husband. And he talks about the beauty of Jesus being that of, you know, what he did, right? The inner thing and, and not the outward thing. So how do you if, you, if you were to not have this passage at all, to, you know nothing about Jesus, and someone came up to you with this paragraph and just started reading it to you, and you had no basis or, or no, you weren't bathed in the love of Jesus, what would be your reaction? Ladies, please. Guys, I don't want to hear from you. <laughs> you know, see, they're a lot quicker on the response than, than, uh, than the guys might be. And, and they said it like a chorus. Did you hear that? It's almost like the thought came and circled around. See, I don't understand that either. All right. So tell me, tell me if you had just sat for a few minutes and just thought about the way that Jesus planned to leave the glory of heaven behind and come down and live among us as one of us and feel everything that we feel in this crazy shell. And he planned to be abused by us. He planned to die at our hands and then, and then save the very people that abused him. Or if he was in this century who would just abuse him here. If you sat with that for a few minutes and then someone read that paragraph to you, what might be your response? You could kind of get it, couldn't you? Because you're looking at someone that already did it. Fellas, I would have liked to have had more time to talk to you, but I have one minute. Some versions say don't be harsh with your wives. Others say be considerate. 
Fast twitch muscles, more weight means more power, more height. And when we talk about human slavery in this world, and it's generally women and children, all this, the conferences in the world only talk about a response to the problem. HIV, human slavery, doesn't matter. They only talk about a response to the problem. They never talk about a solution. They can't talk about a solution because, guys, we're the solution. We're the ones that are creating the problem. It's not the ladies that have these symposiums that are trying to figure out what to do with victims. It's us. We're the ones. We're the elephant in the room at every one of those conferences. So, for the guys in this room to be considerate when he says they are the weaker vessel, you better bet physically. You look at them physically. They are the weaker vessel. Now, this is an average, of course. Some guys are married. My wife can do more push-ups than I can now. But still, in the end, she's no match for me physically if I should decide to turn on her. So for the guys in this room, let me just lay out what Jesus did for us again. And let those be our thoughts as we think about how we are going to live considerately with our wives. And on top of that, when we hear men saying or doing things in this church first, out there second, we need to have a conversation with them. We're all moles, you know, we all go to our caves, we're all very private, we men, and that's one of our problems. But if we hear and we know about things that are going on when we're being inconsiderate or harsh with our wives. We've got to step up, guys. There's only one kind of leadership, and it's servant leadership, and that's what God gave us through Jesus. Our tendency as men is to either dominate or abdicate. We say, oh, well, I don't know what the women want anyway, so I'm just going to... Just let her do what she wants. Well, now you've got a woman who doesn't respect you. If you're a doormat, she doesn't respect you. I guarantee you. You may be saying, oh, I'm doing everything she says. I'm doing everything she says. You're a doormat. You're not leading. You're not serving, right? When I do, when, when I serve, when I'm a leader through service, not through being a doormat, abdication, that means I just go off and watch sports and I just let her do her thing. I don't, I, don't know. I don't know what she wants anymore. That's an excuse. And domination on the other end is not the answer either. But those are our two go-tos as men, even in our modern society. So that's the last piece of this. I want everybody here, men and women both, 
to love being kingdom people and to know that we, what we do, we do for an audience of one and to move in the same direction. God's going to build his kingdom with or without us, right? He can do it. Everything he said he would do, from let there be light on. When he says it, it gets done. And we can either be on that train or not. But I'm asking you to be on that train with me. Let's, let's just walk the kingdom way with him in the various roles that we have to play in that kingdom. We're going to have to leave it there. I promised I would be done now. At 10.52 and 59 seconds. Where are we? But did I keep my promise? No, no, I didn't. Okay, well, anyway. I leave you to it, my brothers and sisters, my beautiful brothers and sisters. Have a good Sunday.